Welcome to the Tabletop Summary, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. Here are your hosts. Welcome, welcome listeners to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is good to have you here with us. I am one of your hosts, Josh, and as with me, as always, I'm Andrew. And we have no guest today. Usually at this point, Andrew introduced our guest, they say hello, and everything's hunky-dory. But today, we do not have a guest. We have a story still, but no, there's no one on this. We're just kind of taking a voyage by ourselves, aren't we, Andrew? Yeah. So we are privileged enough to hear all these great stories. And sometimes the people who tell the stories don't necessarily want to be on the podcast and have a conversation with us live. So this listener uh, decided to share his story with me and asked me to share it on his behalf, but he didn't want to come on the show. So we're going to go ahead and respect his wishes and let him remain anonymous. But uh, we figure the story is worth sharing. So we're going to bring it to you that way. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest. Okay, Andrew, uh, what's what, what have you been playing recently? Oh, man, I just got into Isle of Cats. Woo! Uh, my wife and I, we broke that bad boy open. We've played it three times now. We both really like it. It is a lighter style game than we generally prefer, but there is enough crunchiness in there, and I like the card play. I like the drafting. Um, it's an interesting way of putting the cats on the board and a little bit of this maneuvering aspect of the draft where you have to not only collect the amount of, right amount of baskets, but also the right amount of fish and the, how you entice them. And then the cards with the long play versus the short play bonuses. It's a pretty good game. I'm really enjoying it. I absolutely adore Isle of Cats. I, I, I say consistently, it's my number two game of all time. Uh, it, it stays like my number no, my number five pretty much consistently shifts. Like the top five, my top five games if I have one. And Isla Cast is consistently number two. It's not my favorite game of all time, but it's really dang close. It's my wife's favorite game of all mm-hmm. time. We absolutely love the aesthetic, the puzzle of it, the drafting. So I'm glad you're playing. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And, you know, more people need to play this game. It's so good. It, 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 I wish it was more popular. It's still a pretty popular game. I wish it was more popular than it is when it comes to, like, polyomino games. But, yeah. That's okay. Well, I had the chance to break out Onitama, um, uh, but I, uh. after a year, though, I was able. I you know twenty nineteen, I guess twenty twenty, I mean twenty one, twenty twenty one, and twenty twenty two origins. One of one of them, uh, they came out with Onitama Light and Shadow, yeah, which was an expansion that added hidden movement into uh, the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Onitama. I have all the expansions, so naturally I bought this one, hoping it'd be good. And when it says hidden movement two player, you know that's just like. That's just an instant you know, grab for me, no matter what you're talking about. Um, I played the one version where one player plays the ninja um, and the other player plays people on the board. Uh, so there's like two different versions of how you play. Either you both, both have ninjas or only one player has ninjas and you're trying to find them out. So I believe I was playing playing the ninjas at this point. And it's a fun little game. It's not my favorite expansion to Onitama. Onitama's expansions are all pretty good. Um, I prefer the base game as just something that's purely simple and brilliant. Uh, yeah. But this is, this is a fun thing to change things up. I haven't tried the two ninjas version. That might be a little more interesting. 
Um, but basically, you have two ninjas hidden behind a screen that you can move with the same move mechanics. You have a card that tells you when, tell, sorry, not when, but tells you where you can move on the board. Um, you go back and forth trying to trying to trying to find each other's ninjas. There's little lanterns that might illuminate a column or row, and you're basically trying to either get your sensei to the other's uh, person's temple entrance, or like in chess, take the sensei out. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely fun. It's if you like Onitama, it's a good change of pace. Um, but for me, I personally prefer just based on Onitama. Still, I'm glad I have it. I'm, I'll probably play with it a couple more times. Um, but yeah, that was Onitama Light and Shadow. Okay. Yeah, I think I agree with you in the fact that it's just a different way to play a game that you love, and it doesn't have to necessarily pre- replace the first one. It's just an, uh, a way to change the pace. Absolutely. Well, that go. I think our instruments are pretty ready. You're not, not having a guest on. We move forward through our pre-launch <laughs> procedures pretty fast. So how about we uh, get ready and go into the dive, Andrew? All right, let's do it. Andrew's going to tell us a story. So, uh, Andrew, take it away. I'm going to pretend I'm the guest now. So here we go. All right. So we have in game night. I invited my brother over with his now wife for dinner. Picked up Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. As I'm a huge slut for HP Lovecraft horror. <laughs> for the uninitiated, it's an HP Lovecraft pseudo D&D type game. You move around. Collect things, fight things, roll dice to stat check, flip tiles over to make the board. Second edition is run by a DM who either has a pre-setup or homebrewed story they're telling, while the third edition is an app run. So we set up the game and we ordered food. As players are playing the game, they take damage tokens as either hearts for hit points or brains for sanity. The course concept of the game is that it's 1920s, so seeing an inside-out human or a cultist puke-out floating black liquid <laughs> might take a toll on players' mental stability, also known as the Dungeon Master winning. Um, so everyone sits down to the table and play. Boom. The power goes out. Perfect timing, I laughed. Set up emergency candles to add ambiance, because I'm definitely not letting this go to waste. The sister-in-law is chatting with a boy in the game, a non-player character, who she then upsets. So naturally, its mouth stretched wide open, screamed at her, and then proceeded to cry as it was pulled through the floor, leaving its skin sack and bones near her. (laughs) Everyone is having fun except my sister-in-law, because she hates horror and is now hungry. The boy non-player character keeps appearing near her by complete actual randomness and each time dies horrifically in front of her, always leaving what I referred to as the skin sack. The boy NPC is now chasing my sister-in-law as she hides in the first door she comes across, door number 14 or the breeding room. Eldritch begins, plus human corpses always make good visual candy. Sister-in-law now says, I quit, since she's now sick of being tormented by this small boy demon and doesn't want my paragraph-long descriptions of violent breeding or body horror. We force her to continue. She has legit zero experience with any horror, let alone HP horror. 
Her character in-game develops dementia, a, a.k.a. running out of sanity. This means the boy is now speaking to her even though she knows he's not real. We play for a little bit longer, and she's getting notably... We play for a little bit longer, and she's getting noticeably upset since she keeps thinking she hears sounds around her in real life in the dark, which we'll all laugh about since she now has dementia in-game and thought maybe she was just role-playing. The candles are getting fairly low, and we're all huddled around the dying light around the game. The delivery guy walks past my windows a few times as he's trying to find our house and is scaring her. She keeps mentioning it, but we're so focused on the game, she's complaining about hearing voices, seeing people walk by. Now we're all joking. The doorbell rings and she screams, food's here. It's Chinese and it's really good. A few minutes later, the lights come back on. Everyone dishes up and I just happened to mention that her gyoza looks like a skin sack. <laughs> there is now puke everywhere. <laughs> By pure coincidence, my child pops out from a cupboard right in front of her as she's cleaning up the food, spooking her, and makes her puke again and she screams. It turns out, he was just hiding in the kitchen cupboard while playing his Nintendo DS, and that's what she kept hearing with the noises. LOL, hashtag good eats. <laughs> oh, man. Is this the kind of game night that you would like to have happen to you, or is this truly a nightmare? I mean, this this is a whole nother level of what the heck. I mean, I don't think... I personally would never imagine describing something as putrid enough to make someone puke. But I guess with the ambiance, that really sets the person in the mood. Like, I'm not sure I want to, I don't want to clean up puke just like anyone else. But like, I mean, that's, that, that is a story that that's definitely memorable. I mean, the kid yeah. popping out of the cupboard is my favorite part. Just like, Oh, hi. And she's just, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's just, <laughs> At that point, I like the first part when she throws up, and like I would feel bad because I ruined her dinner. But then the kid, right. so she goes, ah, I'm just like, okay, that's okay. Now I'm gonna laugh because <laughs> oh, I because <laughs> I, I know I, I to throw know, up. But I don't know how the sister-in-law lives through this, obviously, but would come back ever again. Like my fear is during these kind of things is that I would then turn them off to a board game experience ever. Like that would be the last one. So it sounds like it's not the case, and I'm glad they had a good sense of humor about this whole thing, but that would be my fear. But also, this is the kind of story that you cannot pre-plan. You can't set up things to happen like this without some extreme amount of you know, forethought, whatever or not. Just something like this happening is coincidental and interesting and way too much effort to plan. Oh, yeah, no, this was a uh, pure... Every single thing that could have gone right did go right. Yeah. <laughs> Lights went off. He had backup candles. Mansions of Mattis does not require, you know, he had the second edition of Mansions of Mattis, which doesn't require an app. So there's no need for internet. He knew how to dungeon master. So that was great. He was able to make a story that worked with a dim light setting, which works really great for um, Lovecraftian type horror. And eventually he was able to have outside circumstances with his kid in the cupboard and the Chinese food delivery man walking outside, setting some, you know, individual ambiance for that person. Everything that could go right, did go right. And then everything went out after that. <laughs> <For lack> of... <laughs> yeah, definitely no, no planning involved. This is just a, 
And that's one of the interesting things about, you know, horror games is that horror, horror in board games, I think is so hard to nail because mm-hmm. I think it's hard to nail because it's all on a board that you, it's hard to create that tension and horror itself as a genre is all about ambiance. Yeah. And trying to cap, trying to bring the person into the situation so they feel terrified. I think board games for many reasons are hard, have a hard time of doing that. So one of the things about horror is that it has to be about the senses and it has to be about the unknown. It has to you have to not know where the person is lurking or there has to be the lights are out. It's it's a uh, taking away from the senses or depriving the senses in certain ways, or even just the knowledge of what's around. So it's exploratory in that way. But we live in a world where everything is expected. So unless you find a way to take some of those expected things that you're, you know, knowledgeable about around you, it's hard to foster that situation. And in a board game, everything kind of by design is laid out in front of you. It's all there for you to see. You can see what's behind that door or whatever not. So you have to find a way to bring that ambiance in. And I think dimming the lights, um, you know, having creepy sound effects, all that helps. But it still doesn't bring a level of I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you look at the probably the most successful horror board game to come out, maybe ever, was Spinal Girl. It just recently came out from Van Ryder Games. Um, I played Hostage Negotiator which is the previous iteration of that game. And from everyone saying, this is not, this is a horror-themed game that's not scary. This is, it's not a scary game, but the reason I think that, you know, it kind of it, it works a little bit as a horror theme is because when you roll the dice, there comes a certain level of unexpectancy. You don't know what's going to happen. You're trying really hard, which is, you know, a, a common motif in lots of horror is the unexpected and not yeah. knowing what's going to happen next. But as far as like being so that, that creates, you know, tension, which is mm-hmm. good. You need tension and horror. But as far as like pure, you know, terrifying something that's going to haunt your nightmares, I don't see how a board game could do that. Yeah. Unless the you know, there's a pop-up box in the middle and, you know, you can just jump scares when it pops open randomly or something like that. Don't Wake Daddy is the most horrifying board game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you a Lovecraft fan, Andrew? Um, I appreciate where it comes from, but for the most part, I don't know except peripherally, but I, uh, I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about it. I, I am a very big Lovecraft fan. I haven't read everything. Um, I have read a good amount of his work. I have an audiobook that has the complete, you know, fiction of H.P. Lovecraft that is, you know, accumulated and narrated by the H.P. Lovecraft Society. I really enjoy a lot of his work especially his short stories i find hp lovecraft is very good at writing short stories um but his longer stuff is a little bit harder to get through and so mm. I, I struggle to get through these maybe some longer iterations of his stories you know lovecraft's interesting because he's such a divisive figure he you know there's lots of people who will say you know he wasn't a great writer and you know maybe technically he wasn't uh, I'm not an English major, so I don't care. I enjoy his stories no matter what. Um, yeah. But I think lots of the reason his his writings have persisted is because he did something no one else did, which was invent. He, he did invent the idea of existential horror. 
So uh, since I mean I don't, I'm not, I'm no expert by any means on like you know this kind of literature or stuff. I'm more of a fan, but you know the Lovecraft's ideas and motifs have kind of well they have bled its way into all facets of our culture. If yep. you read any one of Lovecraft's stories, he is very focused on the idea of fear of the unknown. Because if you look at Lovecraft as an individual, you know he is a raging racist. He mm-hmm. is extremely prejudiced. Like mm-hmm. I heard one, I think one person call him a proper racist, which means he just didn't hate like people of different colors or like mm-hmm. people with different races. He hated, you know, people who weren't of the same nationality. Like he was like, I am New Englander. I am the purest of the pure type stuff. Yeah. All things that are horrible. What I find interesting is that in his writing, that comes out. Not only like you see like him, like, you know, there's th- things that are, no, but I, t- I even back then, my standards of any standards are offensive and incorrect mm-hmm. that come out as writing about how, you know, maybe like African-American communities in the South or like just in general, some minority communities around the world. But the idea of reason he was so, you know, prejudiced towards you because he just didn't understand them. He didn't yeah. know them. His idea of his fear of the unknown and his, him being a recluse in nature and being afraid of everything comes out in his writing and you see the, the the mind of a man who's so afraid of everything that he has to put it out into his work. And mm-hmm. my opinion, what that has produced is this new idea of horror, which is, you know, you know, existential horror. It's fear of something you don't understand. The ability of trying to understand it in the process our heroes go through in this journey to try to understand something that's understandable. Like, in under, uh, yeah, that's not understandable. Mm. Um and you know you can you can hate the man, but I appreciate the work he's done. And there are some really riveting stories. Um, you know, Call of Cthulhu is a really good story. I love Call of Cthulhu. Um, Cthulhu is obviously the most popular character in all of probably Lovecraft mythos, the giant mm-hmm. squid head guy. And it's a really good story about a man who's trying to discover what his uncle discovered. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it's a really cool story watching him uncover these mysteries about what his uncle was trying to. Uh, understand about this cult that was thriving around the world. It's, it's, it's bred a whole, like there's so many things in culture that have taken this idea. Like if you look at the thing, um, mm-hmm. the classic horror movie, really good horror movie. That is, that is dripping with essence of Lovecraft. Okay. In the movie, we never found out what the thing was. We know it was an alien from outer space, mm-hmm. but we don't know what it was. And the other idea, we never knew throughout the movie, if you're not watching, you never know who the thing is until it reveals itself. Mm-hmm. And that is a consistent um, theme in Lovecraft's work. You never know where the danger is until it reveals itself automatically. There are other, I can, if I had time to think, I could think of a couple other dozens of horror movies that do this. But this idea of unknown things, the, the idea of not being able to comprehend something is the greatest fear of them all. It's mm-hmm. just riveting to me. Yeah. Um, and we see it a lot on board games, but I think Lovecraft's main contribution to like the fictional world is often lost in board games. Um, Magic the Madness does it well because you can do more besides Cthulhu. But really, when you see Lovecraft games, it's like Cthulhu in the house or, you know, Tides, like this is just Cthulhu, Cthulhu, Cthulhu. It's like, well, there's so much more to Lovecraft than Cthulhu. There is. It's not just about losing your sanity. There's more to it than that, right? Yeah, I mean, lots of characters lose their sanity in Cthulhu. That just happens. But, you know, a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't. Like, I, there's so many cool 
cool things. They're, they're just there's lots of cool so- short stories in that could be explored beyond Cthulhu or Neothrotep or you know Azathoth. These other characters that are often used, even those like ones I just named, they aren't used as often as Cthulhu is because mm-hmm. Cthulhu is just a recognizable character. But there are so Plus, many. Probably the one that's easiest to pronounce. Yeah, it is. No, Cthulhu, despite <laughs> if you look at the mythos, like there's tons of stuff in Cthulhu mythos. If you look at it, Cthulhu is the easiest to pronounce by far. Yeah. Um, but like there there are other stories that don't involve anything be- beyond the Cthulhu mythos. Like my favorite personally is one called Cool Air. Um, it's literally about a gentleman who lives in New York who moves into this apartment in like a ghetto neighborhood and he lives above a professor who is super thin and pale, and he his compartment is shiveringly cold all the time. And he eventually gets to the point where his like air conditioner breaks down, and this guy starts going crazy. Like, I need cold stuff. Fix it. And he like, bring me bags of ice. And so he's taking these ice baths. He's injecting himself with different like substances. And at the very end, they couldn't fix his air conditioner, and they walked in on him, and he was just like this. They didn't. Of course, they don't describe it in the book, but basically he, he, they found this pile of something that was once this man. Mm. And it turns out he read his journal that the gentleman, this professor guy had been dead for hundreds of years and it was keeping himself alive by a, an air conditioner, ice baths and different fluids he was injecting himself with. Editor's note. It was only like 18 years, not 100 years. I was wrong. Oh, well back to your regularly scheduled adventure. That's like a 10 minute story. And I've listened to it probably a dozen times because it's so good. And I would, I would make a great card game. Like, I've tried, I haven't had time, but I've tried developing a card game based off of this. Because I think the idea of trying to keep this one person alive by keeping his temperature down would be cool. You know, I, I want to see more stories like that. I want to see Cool Air. I want to see the Cats of Uthar. I want to see the music of, I forgot, there's one like where a guy keeps off basically um, existential forces by playing his fiddle. It's super mm-hmm. good. I want to hmm. see those stories. Those are so good. I don't, I don't want to just see, you know, run away from Cthulhu and stuff like that. That's right. That's a call to other designers to go and start making that stuff that isn't just Cthulhu. There you go. No, it is. Like, and I, I, there, there's so much room for it. Like, there's Mountains of Madness, which is a really good um, story. And that's a game. And that's, I don't think that's strictly Cthulhu. There's some Cthulhu mythos in there. But, like, there's, you know, and there, there's, and there's the Call of Cthulhu game. Like, there's an RPG for Call of Cthulhu that... Excited enough, I'm actually running in the month of September for my game store. I'm excited about that. Nice. Um, but there, I just really want there to see a re- people were like, "Oh, Cthulhu!" There's too much Cthulhu games. Like, well, no, maybe too many Cthulhu games, but we need more. I think there's so much to dig into Lovecraft. There are right. so many good Lovecraft stories that people don't read or use because they're not as popular. That's it's a marketing thing. I understand. But if you make a good enough game, it's going to it's going to find an audience. Like, if, I think if you attach the name Lovecraft to something, it will sell. But there's so much more inspiration to what these stories can do and how they can translate to the game, to a game, to a tabletop game, whether it be an RPG or a board game or a card game, that will could bring so much innovation and creativity to the space. I agree. Well, I think I've ranted long enough about Lovecraft and stuff of that nature. Um, Andrew, how about we see what's on our radar? On my radar uh, is breaking out Hallertau, another oh. uh, 
Uwe Rosenberg, uh, new classic, which I've heard. Another chance for me to try some more polyomino things, and uh, I'm really kind of looking forward to that one, especially since there's a brewing of hops in there, so I can kind of live my best beer life. <laughs> so, yeah, one of the many different games about a small German town. <laughs> so it let me know that it is, though, because those are sometimes some of the best games. Um, for me, on my radar, I... Yeah. I'm really excited to sit down and play Magic Maze. Uh, my wife goes thrift shopping a lot. We all I love going thrift shopping. You know, there's great stuff at the thrift shop. And sometimes you come across a great Ooh. board game. My wife was fortunate enough to come upon Magic Maze and its expansion, both for six bucks. So, you know, that's a great find that the expansion was still sealed. So she picked it up. I was like, hey, do you want me to get this? I'm like, yeah, pick right. it up. We'll we'll play it. You know, for six bucks, I'll for twelve bucks, I'll try any game. <laughs> And I've heard nothing but good things about Magic Maze. It's a Kennerspiel winner, I believe. Um, so I'm excited to give that a try. Uh, that is Magic Maze. I think with that we are ready to resurface. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, What do you say, Andrew? Well, listeners, thank you so much for listening to our. A uh, little story about Lovecraft, about Mansions of Madness. We appreciate you taking some time to listen to us today. Josh, tell us where our listeners can send emails with their stories, as well as where they can find us in other places. Yeah, no problem. So we have a Twitter, um, Tabletop Submarine. You can follow us on there. We have a Facebook page, which is Tabletop Submarine as well, facebook.com forward slash Tabletop Submarine. We have a Discord if you'd like to join us. We're not very active on it, but we use it as a hub if people want to if you're a designer, you want to play test your game, you're more welcome to jump in, jump in one of the rooms and play test. We use it for communicating with our fans to make the podcast better. Whatever you want to do, um, we are on there. We are. If you have questions for us, you can ask us directly, things like that. Um, if you have a story you want to share with us, if you have a you know something you want to you know tell the world about, but maybe not necessarily speak about it. You can email us, or if you have questions, or you know, if you have criticisms of our podcast, whatever it may be, you can email us at tabletopsubmarine at gmail.com. And we will read your email. We will respond to you if we feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's nice at least. Um, but yeah, feel free to email to us. We'd love to hear your stories. You love, you know, we love spreading stories, sharing stories. It's what me and Andrew are here to do. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for taking time of your day to come on this adventure with me. Um, Anything else you want to say to our listeners? Keep playing games and tell us all about the stories that come from it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, as always, I'm Josh. And I'm Andrew. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine.
editor's note, it was only like 18 years, not 100 years. I was wrong. Oh well, back to your regularly scheduled adventure.